Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my chavruta and friend, Ann Gordon. Today, we will be discussing Brachos Daf Chavdalad. So, Ann, we've been talking a lot about this Daf. This is sort of the, the Daf, uh, which we'll get to, which has a very, very famous Gemara um, that many, I know, of our listeners have probably grappled with, learned before, I've really struggled with what are the sort of modern day connotations. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but like many of the daffing we've seen before in Brachot, this daff has a lot of important halachic concepts. Uh, we have a, you know, interesting halacha about what happens. We see that obviously in the times of the Mishnah, there was many families to not have their own beds. And what are the halachot if people need to say kriyachma? when they're in bed. And it seems that actually it may have been the norm that people didn't even wear clothes. Um, and we have some discussion around how long basically uh, at what age it would be considered that your children would have entered puberty or would be considered uh, no longer to be um, minors anymore. Uh, we also have something interesting about what happens if um, somebody is uh, you know, in bed with, their, with another person and needs to say Kriyachma, right? This is um, a story, uh, a statement with uh, Rabbi Yosef in the name of uh, Rav Nechunya from Rabbi Yehuda. Um, and the conclusion is, is that if they are in bed with their wife, um, it's not an issue to say Kriyachma, right? There would be a question that because they were sharing the bed together, um, that it may be considered to be inappropriate because the Gemara reaches the halachic conclu- conclusion of Ishto Kigufo. His wife is like his own flesh, and therefore... Um, the man would be able to basically uh, sort of ha- be able to say Kriyatma with the appropriate kavana that it needs to have without having sexual thoughts about his wife. Um, so those are two important halachic discussions we see. Um, and the third one, which is the one that I was referring to before, is the very famous statement of Shok Be'isha Erba, Se'er Be'isha Erba, Kol Be'isha Erba that a woman's thigh is considered to be erva, which literally means nakedness. But what, and I know, Andrew, are going to talk a little bit more about this. Like what is erva literally, you know, literally means nakedness, but means something that we shouldn't either gaze upon or experience with some of our other senses, right? That we don't hear um, a woman's voice. Um, and that a woman's hair would also have this status of erva. Um, and I know as you're going to talk about, um, and I'll hand it off to you in one second, the important thing to remember when you read this is this is discussed very much within the context of somebody saying Kriyachma, correct, Dan? Yes, um, this is very much, in, listen, the whole daf, not just this daf, we've been talking about Kriyachma for some time now. Um, and the question that arises, I think, in how we apply these statements is are they objective? Are they across the board? Are they specific to the context of Kriyachma? Um, I want to take us to the text and go through the text inside and then talk a little bit about like, you know, where, where, how we in society today, in religious society today, Orthodox society today, deal with these um, concepts and their application. Amar of Yitzchak, Tefach Be'isha Erva. So the statement is that the uh, hands breadth, that amount of of visibility, I guess, Ba'isha of a woman is considered nakedness. Lamai, <coughs> if you're talking about looking at her for histaklut, right? Histaklut is 
um, defined as with kavana lahana'a, meaning that somebody is looking for the for some sexual pleasure. This is talking about a chastity belt, and I don't want to get involved in this discussion because we could so easily, you know, puzzle it out and get sidetracked. Um, that anybody who looks upon the pinky finger of a woman is as if he's looking at her genitalia. This is very specifically, and, and here I can say with confidence, it does not mean it as a general statement. It is very specific. Um, to the nature of the looking, right? If we talk about um, the male gaze, but not just the male gaze, the um, it's, he's looking for a sexual benefit, which in in certain contexts is entirely appropriate, and in others it's entirely not. Ella beisto ulakriyachma. So when we're talking about tefach beisha erva, the idea is that what we're doing is we're not talking about somebody who's looking with kavana lahatnaa. We're, who's looking for sexual benefit, but rather we're talking about somebody who is in fact, at the time of saying Kriyachma, his wife is in the house, in the room, and a tefach, you know, she's exposed by the amount of a tefach, and beyond that presumably is what's considered the problem of erva, and within a certain limit, you know, he can still say Kriyachma. The Gemara goes on, and, you know, kind of runs on this theme now of erva. Okay, we have proof text from Sukim here that the that the very notion of shok erva that the that the thigh of a woman and the the halacha takes this to be a question of is it in fact the full leg or is it just to the knee or is it just past the knee and you know this is a whole halachic discussion for those who worry about their skirt lengths. And here we have the question of kol isha, right? To what extent can a woman? And here we have the proof text is where we get the idea of singing. The idea is that um, a singing voice is that is that a voice that is sweet. Your voice is sweet. That must be a singing voice. And lastly, we have the hair of a woman is considered nakedness. We have here, again, a proof text for each one of these things. The notion that there is the concept of erva for a woman's shok, as your name said, shok and kol and se'ar. Now, I know so many people who are, uh, in fact, traumatized by the application of these statements um, to some extent across the board, right? If you think that Shog um, Bisha Erva is means I don't know the, that it's a defining term about a girl's skirt length, and especially in this day and age when Tzniut has become uh, modesty, laws of modesty have become hyper modesty, and people have become um, kind of bound up and considered like by their value according to how they dress. Then this statement of Shog Bisha Erva becomes a much more loaded statement than simply a definition of, you know, what are the parameters of modesty? Uh, I think that in a different era or a different world, the idea that, uh, uh, you know, a woman should be covered to, or let's say past her knees, and likewise, you know, what do you want to say? Her her body, her chest, her elbows, right? The upper arm is considered a shok. The idea that, that we treat in modesty it is utterly reasonable, I think. But the problem is that when we when it becomes the entire value of a person, 
then it's gone too far. Then the Gemara is taken out of context as, as an objective statement, which perhaps it is intended to be, but not to the extent that that is the value of the person, because that's not the context of it at all. It's a, it's a, it sounds to me that this is a, whether it's pre, it sounds to me like it's descriptive, right? That there's, there's certain objective um, ways of looking at these elements and they are considered erva, they are considered nakedness. Does that mean arousing? Does that, does that mean something that is simply um, accustomed to be covered, right? Let's think about, it doesn't apply obviously to coal, the voice is a separate issue, we'll come back to that in a moment. But when you talk about sa'arbisha erva, well, the halacha jumps all over itself, you know, in later generations, the question of unmarried girls, married women, divorced women. At what point do you say, this is hair that is erva? And at what point is the hair not erva? I will say strongly that this is not the source of the mitzvah of Kisui Rosh. Um, please, God, we will get there. We can discuss it when we get to Masachat Ketubot. But right now, we're simply talking about, it, it may have impact, it certainly has impact in Pesachalacha, on how much hair a woman covers. To what extent is it considered, is a married hair considered erva? And I would say that part of what makes a married woman's hair erva is the very fact that she is accustomed to cover it. And then if somebody you know, comes along and uncovers her hair, oh my goodness, what a feeling of nakedness. There is just, um, for those who are in Israel, and if you, you know Hebrew, the Khan television statement just had a video out. It interviewed or served, you know, put together in a very fast kind of video, many different women who covered their hair in different ways, including an Arab woman with a hijab, who it turns out is not married because that's not the marriage is not relevant for the hijab. And apparently, I know nothing about this. Um, and and they each said, ah, but if my if my kisui rosh were gone for me, then I would feel truly naked. And they all said, this, yes, that's the word. It's nakedness. So I find it interesting that the, right, the what you are accustomed to, what you how you dress, the your norms become what is accustomed to be covered, means that when you then would remove it, ah, that's then you're going to feel you know exposed. Then you're going to feel naked. So. It's not the mitzvah of Kisui Rosh. The question is, what is it doing here in the context of Kriyachma? And again, it comes back to this discussion of tefach b'isha erva, that a woman who is married to the man who is saying Kriyachma is still expected to be dressed, whatever that may mean, certainly according to their own norms of, of a state of dress or you know, not beyond a certain state of undress during the time of saying Kriyachma. Um, now, kol bi'isha erva, again, it gets complicated. Are we, We're talking about singing. Okay, so we know that there's all kinds of heterim that are given for singing in this day and age. Specifically, there's a very, very famous heter of the Sri Ish. I don't want to get so far into halacha, right? Except for that because these are such loaded topics, I feel like we can't, we have to at least touch on them, right? No pun intended. So so the heter of the Sri Ish was given in, for youth groups in Paris, where they said, like, these are, you know, about Jewish identity and they're about helping the kids stay from or be from or whatever, and that they should all sing together. They're talking about Shirei Kodesh and they're, they're not speaking, they're not singing seductively. And that for a lot, a lot of people that set the tone. Oh, again, no pun intended um, for, <laughs> for, um, for one, what we consider acceptable singing. Meaning if you have somebody who's going to be singing sultry solos before a male audience, I think people will understand, will agree that counts as kol isha. But if we're talking about singing Zemiro to the Shabbos table, 
So there are many, many settings in which women will not sing. And there are others where in a, in a co-ed Shabbos table where men and women participate equally in the conversation, they will feel comfortable to participate in the singing as well. It very much, and um, we've talked about this in other contexts, like there, there is a certain measure that it depends on the society that you're in. Um, and what becomes the norms, the same way that what you are accustomed to cover becomes the thing that would be naked if you would uncover it. Again, not talking about genitalia. We're not talking about, you know, truly the, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to draw lines on a body, right? But I think people have a strong sense of where everybody agrees that those are private aspects of your body and you do not share them, certainly not in a, in a firm setting, which is more modest, let's say, than the secular population at large. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's the area that becomes much more um, tenuous, right? Is it a matter of, is it a matter of nakedness? Is it a matter of we, everybody should cover here? Does everybody cover their knees? Does it, do people cover to their ankles, right? This is the definition I said before. Some people take shok to be further. Now, I'm a little bit going around in circles here with these three terms. I think that it's important to say, again, the context of this stuff is excuse me, is about Kriyachma. It is talking about when is, when are you crossing into the boundary, crossing the boundaries into the area of erva during a time that erva is inappropriate, mean, meaning because of the recitation of Shema. And again, we're talking about, initially we're talking about a man with his wife. Well, there is a time when erva is entirely appropriate, just not during the recitation of Shema, at which point, you know, we're not worried about kol, Kol Isha Erva or Sarbisha Erva or Shokbisha Erva because they're, you know, as Yardina said, they're going to go sleep in the same bed and they're, as the previous section of the DAF discusses, without pajamas, right? And aside from the fact that it's a marital bed, there's also the fact that this is just the norm apparently in this era. So I want to make one other observation, which is more general about this DAF. When you continue on this DAF, the next Amud, Kaf Dalad Amud Bet, there's a great discussion about, again, in the context of Shema, when can you say Shema when your garments are filthy, right? Now, the expectation is that in whatever day-to-day -day, um, activities in that era, right, they were not showering every day. They were not, they did not have 21st century standards of cleanliness, as I've mentioned before. And the Gemara specifically discusses how do you go about saying Shema if you have the stench of filth on your own garments. And it talks about you cover your mouth, cover your nose, whatever, right? And and it's such a foreign concept because we would say, well, well, go move away from the stench, go change your clothes, right? And it's a it's a very different norm. Um, as we were preparing your Dana said to me, you know, maybe everybody today would be considered an istinus, right? Somebody who's delicate, somebody who's excessively clean but as compared to back then. And the idea I think that is important here is, uh, for my purposes anyway, when we're looking at the whole daf, is that there's this recognition that when you're coming to say Shema, you're going to take yourself a notch up from your filthy garment. There's a discussion um, in the, when you're going to say Shema and you're lying you know, naked under your bedclothes and to make sure that there's a separation between heart and genitalia. Right, that is the source of what becomes the minhag of a gartel of wearing a belt at all times, and whether you actually need a gartel the way a chassidim wear it, or whether your underwear band might be enough, is it enough to do that separation? There's again, it's a halachic discussion, but my point is that the gemara 
makes a is stipulates that you know this is the norm they let's say people did not sleep with pajamas but when it came to saying kriyachma we are going to elevate ourselves and separate ourselves from our baser bodily functions likewise if the garment if the cloak is is filthy right that there's this ongoing message of push yourself to bring that kedusha into how you conduct yourself when you're doing kadosh things that you separate off from the the more um, physical aspects of the of daily life in in that era well, Dana, what would well, you like to add yeah i think there's a beautiful lesson in this that there's always an opportunity for elevation there's always an opportunity for kedusha there isn't ever a space or place that one could be in where, right? Like the Gamar is talking here about when you're in a bathroom, when you, you know, you're in a bed with family members, you, you know, your clothing is dirty. There's it's, that Kedusha piece or sort of that piece. It's never separate actually from the mundane, from the day to day life. It's actually just a question of how you integrate it. And what are some of the separations that we make, right? Whether it's if you're in bed, you turn your head, or if you have your tefillin, you have to wrap them up in a pouch in a certain way. Or if you're wearing dirty clothes, how you would, you know, reconfigure the clothing or your heart, you know, whatever it is, in order to, in that moment, be able to elevate yourself to say Kriyachma in the proper way. And I actually think that's a great question to always ask ourselves you know, what, whatever it is we're doing, um, you know, are we infusing it with something kadosh? Do we try to make a way to elevate that moment? Because life is actually dirty, <laughs> like physically dirty, right. but also like life is messy. And I mean that also, you know, obviously on a metaphorical level as well. Um, so I think a lot of what this staff does, and that's, um, I have to think this through a little bit more, but, you know, one of the thoughts I had about this was, you know, particularly when contrasting all the things of Tevach Bisherva, Shok Bisherva, Ser Bisherva, Kol Bisherva, and then with a lot of what the Gemara does with some of the other scenarios of, you know, the bit of, of, you know, sleeping with family members or, um, you know, what to do with tefillin that really this is all an exercise in like limitations and boundaries. Um, and, you know, how do we create separation time sometimes? And isn't that actually what Kedusha is or holiness? It's actually like, how do we separate or designate either a physical object, right? Like to fill in, right? Or designate out, you know, um, a place or clothing or time um, to say that this is something that requires more attention, something special, um, and something different. Um, I'll just I'll just jump yeah. in to add that when we're talking about this elevation, right, and we're talking about it in the context of Kriyachma, Kriyachma is our baseline of accepting the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, right? That's where we we affirm that God is our God, and and it's very simple. Right. It's but it's but it's very powerful. And it's exactly that that we elevate ourselves for. This is not talking about how are you going to have the utmost kavana. That's a different story. And we we need to get to that story and we will. But this is just about, you know, pausing in your in your at the right time. Right. We began with the time. When do you say Shema? You pause at the right time, no matter what you're in the middle of, and you figure out a way. 
And the Gemara gives you the tips here, how to figure out the way to accept the kingdom of heaven upon yourself with Shema. Exactly. And I think that's the challenge and not just with Kriyat Shema, but often with many of our, you know, day-to-day activities, you know, how am I elevating that particular moment? So with that thought, um, we will end for today. Uh, That's our doc for the day. Uh, You can find us on all major podcasts. We have some exciting news that we will uh, be sharing, hopefully, during this week about another place to find our podcast. Um, And please leave us a good review. Send us feedback. Uh, I think we will be doing an episode this week with some feedback from listeners. And uh, that's in the works. Um, And until tomorrow's doc.